We are excited to be starting a new series this morning. Uh, it is uh, called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And uh, we have just one verse for you this morning. We joked that we were going to read it really slowly so that these guys, because we usually have much more than one verse, so these guys can get to the back. Um, it will be uh, shared in context and considered in its context. But we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, guys. Hey, it's fun to be with you. My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Current. Uh, last week was really exciting, was it not? For those of you guys who were here as we launched our second gathering time, uh, there was about 260 people in attendance, which was really fun. And most exciting of all, two people put their faith in Jesus. Can we give them a hand? Give the Lord a hand. Isn't that exciting? And of course, today's ski week, so a lot of our folks are gone, but we're excited, we're excited you guys are here with us. And if you're visiting or new with us, uh, we'd love to get more connected with you. We hope you'd, you'd uh, visit the connection table in the back, and we'd love to share more about the happenings in life of what's, what's going on here at Current. Well, today, as Cindy mentioned, we are, we are starting off a new teaching series that we're calling The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Jesus was an incredible teacher. Just an incredible teacher, and it was often, uh, it was often that the crowds were uh, described in the gospel accounts of being astonished or amazed at his teachings, because he was one who taught with, quote, a lot of authority. Um, and many of his teachings were by design meant to draw us in to think more deeply on what he was sharing, what he was teaching. So there was surface level, what we could kind of glean and understand, but so much, his, so much of his teaching was meant to kind of bring us in further to consider it for our own lives. That's why he regularly said things like, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And some of the things that Jesus taught were known as hard. In fact, even his followers, his disciples at the time, said to him, Lord, these are hard sayings. Um, whether they were hard because they were hard to understand or hard because they were hard to apply or both. Uh, Jesus had some hard sayings. Well, at this time of, uh, of the year when churches traditionally look, and look at and study the life of, of Jesus and his teachings, I thought we'd look at some of his hard teachings and consider them for, for, for our lives, the rele relevance in our lives today. And so to kick things off, I figured I'd look at one of the hard sayings that I found hard uh, as a little guy, and as I was, uh, for many years, was trying to work through. A hard saying when Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if you find that hard, <laughs> be perfect. Yeah, a lot of head nods and raised hands even I saw out there. Um, be perfect. Uh, this is a hard teaching because on the, uh, on the one hand, it can feel crushing, right? It can feel like, Jesus, really be perfect? How is it possible to like not do anything ever wrong? Um, in fact, these uh, words could make us, if we don't understand them properly, feel guilt, maybe feel a little bit of shame. Uh, and on the other hand, I've seen these words to be hard in, in that I've seen people use them to be crushing of others, to crush others. Uh, someone a long time ago in my life, someone no one here would ever know, not related to me or anything like that, um, used to have this as his life verse. This guy said, my life verse, my life mantra is this verse, be perfect as, as God in heaven is perfect. And the way he kind of used that verse, the way he kind of pulled it out from time to time is if you weren't perfect or if I wasn't perfect, he'd let me know. You're not measuring up. And uh, those words were crushing. Uh, imagine we all know the type of person. But Jesus meant neither of these things when he said these words. Uh, he, did, he didn't mean them to be crushing. He didn't mean them, heaven forbid, to be crushing of others. 
these are hard words in a way, yes, but when understood properly and in their context, they are actually beautiful, powerful, even life-giving and helpful to our lives. So what did Jesus mean when he said these words and what do they mean for us today? Let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for another day we can come together and worship you and study your word. Father, we ask for your spirit to speak to each one of us where we're at. I pray especially for an extra measure of your spirit, if that were possible, as I teach these things. Help me to teach faithfully what your word has here today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in saying these words, Jesus had to mean, at least for for starters here, that we need to take sin seriously. Okay, he's talking about being perfect. That means there has to be a standard. There has to be a moral code, right, that we need to take seriously. Now, when we say sin, what do we mean? Okay, in terms of our wording here, he talks about perfect. When we talk about imperfection, not meeting that, that what, what are we talking about when we say sin? The word in the Bible for sin in the ancient Greek is actually a very helpful word for us to understand some concepts here. That's an ancient archer term, actually, where an archer would stand up and get ready to like let their arrow fly, and uh, they would call it sin when they would miss the mark, which is kind of a funny thought. And like next, next time you're out there playing basketball and your buddy misses the shot, you say, hey, you sinner, right? But that's the idea. When you miss the mark, that you, that's what sin in our Bible means, which is, which is very helpful for us to understand in terms of this concept. Because what it seems to me to be the case is whether you've grown up in church or not, you know your Bible or not, uh, often what people think of when it comes to this idea of sin is it just means breaking the rules or doing bad things. And that's part of what sin means, but ultimately what sin means is it means we're missing the mark, we're missing the life that God intended us to live, intends us to live. We're missing the people, we're missing being the people that he calls us into, the loving, selfless, caring people that he wants us to be, that he designed us to be. Uh, Notice that Jesus here says, be perfect, therefore. Of course, he's concluding a statement here, concluding a line of thinking that he has been building up towards. Uh, Jesus here in Matthew 5 is teaching what's known as the Sermon of the Mount, quite possibly the most famous of all teachings throughout all human history, by the way. And he is finishing a thought here with the verse that we're considering today that he started back in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll reference some of this, but if you have it, you can check. But back in chapter 5 of Matthew's account, verse 17, he starts what we're talking about today, and he kind of concludes it here in verse 48. And what he's doing in this section of his teaching is expounding on the law, expounding on God's moral code, his standard for us to understand what it means to live the life that God intends us to live, how we might not miss the mark so to speak. And so a number of times in this little section of scripture, he'll say things like, you have heard it said, meaning you know it's in the scriptures to say, do not, but I tell you, and he expounds on it. So for instance, he says, you have heard it said, you know it's in the scriptures, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even hate. Or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust, don't even covet. Or you have heard it said, uh, don't uh, break, any, break any oaths. I tell you, don't even make oaths. Just be completely trustworthy in all that you do and say. And then finally, actually there's a few other, but the, finally from the ones I remember off the top of my head is, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I tell you, love even your enemies. Uh, and so Jesus is expounding on this idea of what it means to miss the mark or live to the standard that God intends for us. And what his thought is, more or less, is, 
we can look at the law, we can look at this moral standard, we can think of it as like a letter of the law type deal. Black and white, okay, I just need to not do this, I just need to not do this, and okay, check, check, check. But Jesus is saying, actually, it's so much more than that. There's, so, there's something so much more important than just following it by the letter of the law. We need to follow the spirit of the law. And so that's why he says, you have this standard that God set out saying, don't murder, okay? I think we all understand, that's not a good thing. Jesus is saying, if you even hate, you're starting along the spectrum towards that. If you even hate, you start to harm others. By the way, harm yourself as well when you start to do such things. And we've all experienced this, right? We've all, in a fit of anger or a fit of rage, said something, maybe even to someone we love and deeply care about, that we've later on deeply regretted because it's hurt that relationship. It's hurt that person. Maybe it's even severed the relationship entirely. And unless some real relational repair work goes into it, things are just kind of in a bad place. Jesus is saying we need to take sin seriously. Why? Because it's not what God intended for us. We miss the mark of, of the people, of the lives of people that he calls us into. And so therefore we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. But actually even more importantly than any of that is what happens when we sin is we actually hurt God. Uh, sin's greatest impact is in our relationship with God. Notice that Jesus said here, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, God is our heavenly Father who wants your and my best. And so these rules, these standards, this, this law is meant for us and, and for our good and for the good of others. Um, but often we don't see it that way and we just choose to do things our own way. Uh, we need to take sin seriously. He's our heavenly father. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. You know, I'm a father of an uh, eight-year-old and five-year-old. And my kids, are, I love them. I'm so proud of them. They're, they're good kids. They most often just listen and, and do, you know, what, what's good and right. But they're eight and five years old. They don't always do that, okay? And so there's plenty of times where I'll say, hey, you know, son, daughter, uh, don't do that. And they'll be like, inevitably, why? Or, no, I'm going to do it anyways. And Son, daughter, no, you don't want to do that. Don't, don't do that. You just, gotta, you just gotta trust me on this one. And if I have the chance, or you know, they have the ability with their eight-year-old minds and five-year-old minds uh, to understand, I'll explain as best I can. But often they don't understand when I explain, hey, you don't want to do this because these reasons, these reasons, and I just want to do it anyways. Oh, well, you just don't want to do that. And then they're faced with a choice, right? Faced with a choice of whether they're gonna trust daddy or mommy, or they're just gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna do it my own way. And this side of parenthood, I've found that I'm having a lot of follow-up conversations where I'm trying really hard not to say, I told you so, because that's not the point, but saying, hey, you know, this is why, Daddy, this is why Mommy said, let's not, let's not do that. Don't do that. And I'm an imperfect father. <laughs> How much more does our perfect Heavenly Father want our good and think about our good? We need to take sin seriously because it hurts ourselves, it hurts others, it hurts our relationship with God. So do you take sin seriously? Or there's things in your life uh, where it's just like, you know what, in this one area of my life, uh, I, I just can't do it, so I'm not even going to try. Or I'm, I just disagree with God on this one, so I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to do it my own way. Um, Jesus is saying we need to take sin seriously. Uh, that's the first thought when he says to be perfect. Uh, the second thought we see here is that we need to recognize our help, our, our need for help. Okay, This has to be what Jesus is saying uh, when he says be perfect. I mean, be perfect? Like, really, Jesus? Did he really think, does he really think that we can attain that? Um, actually, you don't have to look too far in the Sermon on the Mount to know that, yeah, yeah, he's under no false impression that we cannot attain that. 
Uh, in fact, you probably, depending on your font size and, and where this, our scripture falls in your Bible, uh, you probably don't have to turn your page to see that Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, forgive us our debts. He said, when you pray, pray go ahead and say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, Jesus knows that we're not going to attain to this be perfect measure. And then, by the way, the very few, for, very few first statements of the Sermon on the Mount are, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A few years ago when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we considered these words and we considered how really what Jesus was saying is we need to understand our spiritual bankruptcy before him. Blessed those who are, are those who mourn, who really mourn this idea that the world isn't right, starting with our own hearts. And that's what Jesus undoubtedly is trying to raise as he says here, be perfect. Um, we need to understand that we need outside help. Why? Because we've all failed the test. For instance, let's take some of the thoughts that Jesus already said. You have heard, you shall not murder, but I say, don't even hate. We failed the test. You have heard it say, do not, murder, uh, do not commit adultery, but I say, don't even lust, don't even covet. We fail that test. You have heard it said, don't break your oaths, but I say, don't, don't even make oaths. Be completely trustworthy. We, we fail the test. And, he, and you have heard it said, don't just love your neighbor, love your enemies. We fail the test. We fail the test. We fail the test. Jesus is trying to bring us to a place that we recognize this that we recognize our need, that God calls us into a life that we just can't live. And this is where the good news begins. This is where the gospel is first understood in our hearts, right here, that we need outside help. Uh, there was a newspaper in the early 20th century that posed this question to all its readers, saying, uh, you know, we'd love for people to contribute to this question, what is wrong with the world? And many people submitted all these essays and various thoughts and just, you know, just all these descriptions of why they think this is what's wrong with the world. But uh, the Christian G.K. Uh, Chesterton repeatedly wrote a very brief letter in response to what is wrong with the world, saying this, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, uh, this is the attitude of someone who has grasped the mes message of Jesus. Where does the gospel, where does the good news of Jesus begin? It starts with us recognizing that we need help from outside. We cannot do the things that whether we grew up in the church, grew up religious or not, recognize we are not the people that we ought to be, but we know we, ought, we should be. Uh, by the way, when this, take, when this verse is taken or any verse in the Bible is taken with this kind of thought of, hey, you better do this or else why aren't you measuring up? It is missing the point entirely. Uh, do you see that? Because Jesus' ultimate aim here is actually just to shock us a little bit, just to wake us up a little bit and recognize our need for outside help, which leads us to the last and most beautiful thought of all, and that is we need to see that our ultimate help comes through Jesus himself. When Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as our heavenly Father is perfect, ultimately Jesus is saying, you need me. Because he's saying, be perfect, right? The question we have to be asking is, but How? Okay, he wants us to take sin seriously. He wants us to take the standard seriously. But how, Jesus? Uh, earlier on, as I mentioned in verse 17, he starts this line of thinking that he concludes in verse 48. He sets up the theme, even sets up the resolution by saying these words, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That was Jesus saying, you know that standard that God has set in place? You know the moral code that kind of lives deep inside you? I'm not coming to take that away. In fact, in a few verses, he actually says in our English equivalent, as we translate it, it's saying something, I'm not even going to take any of the cross T's or dotted I's out of God's law. The standard is perfect because your heavenly father is perfect and he gives you a perfect standard for your good and mine. 
I can't get rid of that. And in fact, we wouldn't want it any other way, would we not, friends? Because when we're wrong, for instance, severely wrong, what do we cry out? Give me justice. Hey, there's a standard that was broken, and I want justice. How much more does our perfectly father, for instance, want justice and want all the wrongdoings to be made right and good? But when we've wronged others, you know, and maybe we're remorseful, what do we cry out then? Give me justice? No, no. We cry out, give me mercy. Because we want mercy. And that's the beautiful thing of what Jesus offers here is both justice and mercy. But how? Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Um, This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that in their great love for us, our perfectly heavenly father sent his son to live the perfect life that we cannot live and to die for our imperfection. To, in other words, live the life that you and I can and ought to live, but don't and die the death that we deserve. That's the gospel. Or listen to it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a striking statement, is it not? It's saying that the gospel or good news of Jesus is not just a promise of forgiveness, were that not good enough. That when we put our faith and receive Jesus for what he's done on the cross, we are not just given forgiveness, we are actually also given his righteousness. In other words, we're clothed in his perfection, which let me just pause for a minute. minute. Don't we now see that it leaves zero room for guilt and shame? I mean, if everything that God sees when he looks at us is Jesus' perfection and Jesus' record when he looks at us, how can we live in guilt or shame? The answer is there's no room for that. And yet what a lot of people will say undoubtedly at this thought is, oh, but that's just going to leave Christians to live with a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? If they're just forgiven. And now, David, you're telling me they're also righteous, perfect? You're telling me that's how Christians, that's their understanding? Isn't that going to mean they're just going to go do whatever they want and just be, hey, God, I need forgiveness now. Would you hook it up? But don't you see that that misses what we've been talking about entirely? Entirely? Because what has this forgiveness, what is this perfection, this righteousness cost us? It has cost us nothing less than our Savior's life. And let me ask you, when someone does something nice for you, say someone does something really nice for you, what do you want to do in return? Don't you want to do something like where you just get to express your heart of love, joy, and gratitude? And the greater it is, all the more so, let alone what Jesus is offering here, And so therefore, Jesus actually turns our motivation in terms of why we follow after him and why we care about this standard in the first place. Notice, Jesus did not say, be perfect or else. That's not Matthew 5.48. Matthew 5.48 is, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. By the way, the same Father who sent this Son to die for you and to give his perfection to you. And so when that happens, we have a motivation to follow him and to live toward this standard in a way that nothing else matches. Because if we try to live, friends, out of, hey, I need to do this, I need to live up to the standard, or else we're going to fail. By the way, we're going to fail either way. But what about when in the secret no one's looking? What are we going to do then? Or what about when we can get away with something and it's just going to be to our great advantage? What about then? The greatest motivation in that time is to, be, to remember and look at what our Savior has done for us and out of the joy in our hearts begin to try to move in that direction. And by the way, even when we fail, which we will, friends, 
to recognize that he offers forgiveness, life in his name. And so we see that these words, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, while they are words to call us into a life, a standard that he wants for us, that is for our best, is for the best of others, and by the way, is the best for our relationship with him. Ultimately, these words aren't about you and me. Ultimately, they're about him and what he has done for us. Therefore, we take sin seriously. Why? Because it costs us nothing less than our Savior's life. And when we miss the mark, we keep short lists. And we take these things to our Heavenly Father who forgives and in Christ offers us his help. And when we feel guilt and when we feel shame, then we understand that salvation is not just to try harder or be better, which, by the way, just mounts the guilt and shame on top of us. No, it's rather to let who he is and what he's done melt more deeply into our hearts, that we can begin to live this more deeply from the inside out. To let the love of the perfect one who came to become imperfect for us shine through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your perfect love for us. In a way, these words can feel hard, but they're only hard because we fail to recognize what you're ultimately aiming them towards. And what you're ultimately aiming them towards is just to see your perfect love for us. And so, Father, when we are imperfect, which is more often than we care to admit or recognize, uh, Father, forgive us this. And Father, where we don't take sin as seriously as, as we ought in our lives, Lord, would you help us to do so? In fact, if there's anyone here now where they're thinking about uh, an area in their life where maybe they feel guilt or maybe they feel shame, Father, would you help them to take it seriously? But you, would you also help them offer it back to you? Father, the fact of the matter is individually and corporately as a church body, we are far from perfect, but that's the point. We need your perfect love. So thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and to equip us to love others with that same love. We love you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name.